everybody. So the class, uh, the breakfast is dedicated in memory of Shai Sabi Ben Aida, uh, Shai Abitan. It's second yard site. So we, we have the beginning of this week's parashah. It says, Vaidabet Elohim El Moshe, Vayomer Elav Ani Adonai. And we have a problem with it because normally we would say, Vaidabet Hashem El Moshe Lemor. So almost every pasuk we have this concept of Daber and Amar. Here, they seem to be divided. And Hashem, in all the previous conversations he's had with Moshe Rabbeinu, I think there's 18. Every time we use the, the Hashem speaking to him, he uses the word Vayomer. This is the first time he uses Vaydaber. So the rabbis tell us that this is in a response to what we saw at the end of last week's parasha, where Moshe Rabbeinu, also something we were talking about yesterday, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Lama Herota, why did you do bad, evil to these people. So I looked at various, uh, various commentaries and I also saw something that reminded me a lot of Shaya and that's why I wanted to bring it at the end. So Shadal, in Shneil Chotabrit, he brings, Hashem spoke harshly with Moshe because Moshe was adamant in saying, you caused evil to these people. So he says Moshe was guilty of questioning the ways of Hashem and that was why Hashem, he expresses regret at the passing of the Avot because they never questioned him. He says, we have to learn from this to be extremely careful not to question HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whether it is when he confers benefits or when it seems that it's afflicting us. He says, Hashem is the true Sadiq. Sometimes we think that what happens to us is bad. However, Hashem knows what really should be. Dora Chaim HaKadosh says, that inasmuch as Moshe Rabbeinu spoke in an unseemly matter, manner in the presence of Hashem, Hashem had always been smiling to him, always we saw Vayomer, always we saw Havaya. Now Hashem is showing him, no, there's also the capacity of Elohim. The Rachim goes very deeply into this, we'll probably do it later in the week. The Siftei Chachamim comments, based on Rashi, he says he spoke with him with severity from the name Elohim, which is Midat Hadin, and the name Endaber, which is also a harsh way of speaking. He said, we don't need to ask why, we always see Vaidaber, he says, because always we see Vaidaber, Moshe, Vaidaber Hashem El Moshe, Lemor. He says the Lemor sweetens everything of the Daber, every time you see it. He says, here though, Hashem had always spoken to Moshe, Ani Hashem, and now he had to speak to him a little tougher to show him another side of the coin. They all seem to be in the similar range. The Akedah Yitzchak, and I always I like to look at him because where he lived in Spain in the right before the, the during the Inquisition, he lived in Spain between the 1300s, 1400s, and he's dealing with the the Christians in Spain trying to convert the Jews constantly. The Jews were required to go once a month to the church to hear uh, speeches about why they should convert. So he says, although we have said that in order to prepare for supernatural knowledge, sound knowledge of natural law is a prerequisite, he says, we find sometimes it hurts us. He says, Abraham and Sarah, when Hashem said they're going to have a child, both of them in a way laughed. Both of them in a way looked, how could it be possible? He says, we see Yirmiyahu, he had to be reminded when Hashem tells Yirmiyahu to buy his friend's field right while Nebuchadnezzar is conquering them. He had to be reminded that there's things that go against logic. 
Moshe Rabbeinu thinks Hashem told him you're going to take the people out of Egypt. There has to be a logical way of this is going to happen, meaning we go from worse to better to better to better. Logic doesn't allow me to see that it goes from, from bad to even worse before it's going to go to better. He says Moshe assumed that even when Hashkachat Prati is at work, there has to be logic. Hashem says, now you're going to see. Once the supernatural is at work, the very opposite occurs. Nothing has to make sense. Chizkuni says, Ani Hashem, he says, I told you that you're going to be an Elohim as far as Paro is concerned. I did not mean that Paro is to stand in awe of you. Paro is going to stand in awe of me, Hashem is telling him. He says that Rashi understands this as I'm the one who is certain to reward and punish. He says, how is this related to the, the, the Shem Havaya? He says, this more than any attribute shows that Hashem is always there. Hashem is always the one who's doing everything. Then I saw by Rabbi Winston, he says, even though Hashem told Moshe from the outset that Paro would not heed his demand, he didn't tell Moshe that his demand would worsen the situation. So Moshe got upset. It would seem that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't yet understand the true nature of the redemption he was supposed to be orchestrating on behalf of Hashem. It hadn't been only about freeing the Jewish people from Egyptian slavery, but freeing them from any dependency on anything else other than God. Moshe had to fail and fail badly so that when the redemption did come, it would be clear to all that it was totally the work of Hashem. Why did it make a difference if Hashem doesn't care if he gets credit? He says, because the moment we depend on anything else other than God, we're compromised. Everything else other than Hashem has lackings, needs, and dependencies. Consequently, this often means that success and fulfillment come with a price. And that leads to personal compromise. Since Hashem needs nothing, there's nothing we could give him. That he doesn't already have. Being perfect, everything he does is for us and for our own good. Since he doesn't have to look out for himself, he can only look out for us. Any demands that Hashem makes on us is only for us. En on milevadod does not only mean that there's no power but God. It also means that he's the only one who can be totally concerned about us and in whom we could trust to act on our behalf at all times. This may be a little abstract, and require trust and faith, but it is a price we pay only to ourselves since it only enhances our sense of calm. Finally, and I thought that this relates to Shia, if one wants to get their point across, there's a tremendous lesson here that Hashem gives. He goes from Vaidaber to Vayomer in a split second. It's like David HaMelech says in Tehillim, Hashem gets angry for a second, but his chesed is forever. So Hashem in a way is teaching us a lesson. Where did we see this also? We saw this from Yaakov Avinu. When Yaakov Avinu gets angry at Laban, it says the Pasuk, He's going to fight with him. Yaakov is going to answer Laban. How does he speak to him? He speaks in a soft way to Laban. He says, although the Torah clearly states that he's angry with him, and he wants to fight with him. He says, no, it still says Vayomer. He spoke gently. The Chafetz Chaim points out that even though Yaakov was angered, he didn't speak harshly in anger, but rather he addressed Lavan in a gentle tone. You see that with Yehuda. 
Hayasta Kam says Shlomo Amelech says Al Tochatz Let's don't rebuke a scoffer Pen Yisanech he's going to hate you but Hocheach lechacham but you could speak to a chacham and tell him what he's doing wrong and he's going to he's going to love you the chances of influencing a person to change his ways are much greater if we speak to him in this way than if we pour out harsh criticism. He says, this is a task of our generation. Many people who are distant from Torah, interested in hearing about Torah, but we have to speak to them gently. This requires a special skill and it is our duty to learn that skill. The gentle speech we need to use when speaking to our not yet religious brethren, this is from Rabbi Silverstein, he says, you have to try to persuade them in a right way. And he tells a story. He says he got in a taxi cab once and he sits next to a taxi driver. He sat in the front seat and the guy has long earring and dreadlocks and he's not so comfortable. And he says, the driver noticed that I was not so comfortable. And all of a sudden the driver went like this and he opened the bottom of his shirt and he took out his seat seat. And he says to the rabbi, they said the rabbi looked and sees this guy with dreadlocks and earrings wearing tzitzit. So the driver turns to the rabbi and he says, I'm in the process of becoming a Baal Teshuvah. But right now it's still difficult to me to get rid of my hair and to get rid of my earring. Eventually with Hashem's help, I'll get rid of it. But right now I started by wearing tzitzit. The driver then told him how he became observant. He said, some time ago I had a passenger whose bearing and clothing indicated he was a Hasidic Rebbe. I picked him up in Holon and he asked me to drive him all the way to Bnei Brak. When we arrived at his house in Bnei Brak, he turned to me and said, it was a long drive. You're probably hungry and thirsty. Come upstairs to my house and get something to drink and something to eat, but leave the meter running. It's on me. I don't want you to take away from your income. I wanted to turn the meter off, but he was adamant. I should leave it running. So I couldn't refuse him. I went up to his house. He served me food and drink. Then he said, you probably didn't put on tefillin today. Come do the mitzvah and don't worry, the meter's still running. It's on me. You're putting on the tefillin. You're still getting the meter running in the car. He said, I could not help but be impressed by this Rebbe. I saw many people try to get people to do mitzvot. But this Rebbe insisted that he leave the meter running so that I shouldn't lose out and I would still be able to do the mitzvah. I was so moved, he said, that I wanted to know if there were Jews like this in the world, I want to be like them. When the Rebbe walked me back to the cab, he saw the meter and the meter was still running. He paid me still an extra $10, whatever was on the meter. Rev Silverstein says after, he says, look what this guy did. The Rebbe maybe gave him an extra $20 for sitting out there and whatever, but he changed the guy's whole life by doing the way he did it. So when I saw the story, I was reminded of Shaya. I remember many times going with Shaya, and there were people who weren't happy, especially we went to the old age home or whatever. And Shaya always told me, let me take care of this. And he would speak in this nice, sweet way, honey, darling, dear. He would speak to people who were very angry, in a way to completely disarm their anger. And all of a sudden, whatever they were so adamant about doing, they would give way. They would give way to do. And I remember he told, to me, he told me once, David, much better with sugar than with vinegar. Much better with sugar than with vinegar. And he always had this attitude of speaking to people in a way 
to make it to make it sweet and nice and calm, he lowered himself in order to raise them, in order to get them to do what he wanted to do. It's an unbelievable lesson. We have it from this week's parasha. Vaydaber Hashem for a second. Then he says, the only way I'm going to get this done is Vayomer. We always have to remember, we sometimes are quick to anger. We have to push the anger away. If we want people to hear us, the only way they're going to hear us is Vayomer. Aruch Adonai Amen, Amen.